to another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And uh, today, Craig, I feel like we have to come clean with our listeners. Ah, uh, all right, if you think so. <laughs> we've uh, we've missed a couple weeks. Um, we had some technical difficulties. Of course, we posted that on our website and on Facebook. Uh, and then we were late getting this podcast out as well. And so I feel we owe everyone an explanation. I have moved to China. <laughs> <laughs> About a month ago, um, uh, my wife – actually, two months ago now, isn't it? My wife and I packed up our bags and headed to China. And, of course, we knew this was coming. So Craig and I had recorded our last four episodes before we left, thinking that, well, about a month would give us enough time to get here, get settled into <laughs> our apartment and stuff. <laughs> and um, it turns out that uh, we had a hard time getting an apartment. We're here in Beijing, and apartments are at a premium. And so we were stuck in a hotel – for about a month and a half. And while we were in that hotel, we had really crappy Wi-Fi. And so um, between that and my computer breaking down <laughs> and then trying to get my computer fixed uh, in Beijing, not knowing any Chinese yet, uh, all that just threw a big wrench in the works. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, so we were late getting out those last two podcasts that we recorded before I left the States. Uh, and then, of course, um, the Craig and I tried recording this uh Lost Boys podcast last week, and uh, things didn't go so well on our ends, this being our first time doing this via Skype. So uh, never fear, we are going to continue uh, with this podcast as long as we're able, um, but we have to do it through <laughs> Skype now. <laughs> right. Like about you know three quarters of the other podcasters out there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, th- we, are, we are giving this another shot. So if you're hearing this, then it came through just fine. All right. So <laughs> anyway, uh, the long story short, uh, here we are. Lost Boys, right, Craig? Yeah, here we go. Now, you chose The Lost Boys because you have fond memories of this from the from when you were a kid, right? Right, yeah. I, you know, this is, again, I've said it a million times, this is one of those movies that one way or another we had on VHS. You know, I don't know if my dad taped it off of uh, HBO or, or dubbed a tape. I, I don't know, but um, for as long as I can remember... Uh, this was just one that we always had readily available, and I watched probably a million times. Uh, so yeah, and and I just uh, being you know a kid of the '80s, a boy of the '80s, um, it was it was kind of difficult to escape the whole uh, the two Corys phenomenon. And um, I was a, a big fan right from the get go. And this was their first movie together. Uh, both of them, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman had been working actors since they were little boys, um, and they had both done stuff in the horror genre. Uh, Corey Haim uh, had done um, Silver Bullet, which was the uh, adaptation of Stephen King's Cycle of the Werewolf. Uh, Corey Feldman had done um, one of the Friday the 13th movies. He originated the Tommy Jarvis uh, character in one of the Friday the 13th movies. And then this was the first time they came together, and then they did a whole bunch of stuff after, and I was uh, a big fan of of all of their stuff, as I think were a lot of uh, young people of our day. Yeah, the two Corys were like a staple of 80s uh, movies. And you'd get them confused sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, I didn't. You know, it's funny. When I was in college, I talked a, a lot about this stuff, you know, nostalgia stuff with my friends. And um, all my girlfriends, uh, they were big Corey Feldman fans and, and thought Corey Feldman was like the hot one. Um, I always uh, was more of a, a Haim fan myself. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what that says about me, but um, yeah, both of them, you know, big, big stars uh, of the 80s. Uh, unfortunately, their their flames uh, burned out uh, a little bit as they got into the 90s and as they got a little bit older, but um, made a lot of uh, really popular movies. I, I You know, I liked this one. Uh, I liked License to Drive. Um, Dream a Little Dream flew a little bit more under the radar, I think, but I was always a big fan of that movie, too. Uh, just, just you know, a fan of these guys in general. And, and I think part of the reason for that is because you could tell in these movies that these guys really just had kind of a, a connection, a, a chemistry. You know, they were, they were great friends in, in real life. They went through a lot of stuff together. Um, and you know, that, that continued through their adult lives. Unfortunately, they both struggled with some things 
you know, uh, Corey Haim, uh, sadly, uh, eventually met his demise due to some of the problems that he had. Um, Corey Feldman has, has since then spoken out and said that there was some abuse and stuff going on in the industry, which, uh, is really sad. Um, but nevertheless, they left their legacy with these handful of movies. And now, as a nearly 40-year-old guy, I can still kind of look back on these, and it's a nice reminder of a, a different time. You know, it is. And I think that's the thing that struck me the most about this film. I have to admit that I have never seen this before. I've I can't seen... believe that. I don't know how you're a horror fan and you got <laughs> all the way through your life without having ever seen this movie. I mean, it's not, you know, I, we'll get into it. I, I, I kind of consider this to be kind of a classic vampire movie. Um, but I haven't really sat down and watched it start to finish in probably years. And, and having done that now, you know, it's, 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 it's dated. It's, uh, it's maybe not held up as well as some of the others but but really you know it's kind of a definitive vampire movie you still see these memes all over facebook and stuff you know ridiculing um twilight and whatnot and it you know it always <laughs> it shows the vampires from the lost boys and says these are vampires not this yeah. and you know it shows you know the edward cullens or whatever so i can't believe you made it this far in your life without having seen it you know, I can't either. And, you know, it was always at the video store. It was always available to rent. I think to me, you know, it kind of disguised itself. It was never like a hardcore vampire movie. Right. You know, it it, all, it always, um, even from the box art to just the uh, reputation surrounding the film, is that it's more of this sort of hip teenager movie yeah. uh, at first and a vampire movie second, right? Yeah, well, and it kind of, you know, it capitalized on kind of like the 80s glam rock uh, kind of thing. And that's, you know, the the vampires are very much somebody you would have seen um, in a hairband uh, of, of the 1980s. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there was always, and, and it was young Hollywood. You know, you've got um, Kiefer Sutherland, uh, Donald Sutherland's son, you know, who had done some stuff, I think. But this was kind of his big first um, role, at least as far as I can remember. And then. You know, uh, you've got the Corys, of course, and then um, you've got uh, Jamie Gertz, uh, who was really kind of a, a hot girl of uh, the 80s, did a lot of great 80s movies, uh, and she, you know, she plays star in this movie. Um, so, yeah, uh, it was, you know, it's got a very MTV feel about it all around, and so um, maybe that kind of overshadowed the horror elements a little bit. Yeah, I think so. At least um, that's how I felt. And I think that's what kept me away from the movie so much is I thought, oh, this isn't going to be such a hardcore horror film. And so uh, I'm not going to spend the time watching it. Now, having said that and put it in uh, and watched it, my gosh, this is the lost 80s movie that I've always wanted to see. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, from the moment the music kicks in, you know, the soundtrack is just... It's just total 80s. Oh, yeah. It's so my style, actually. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, the soundtrack. Yeah, it's got, I mean, it's got these these great, like, you know, uh, 80s rock music. Um, (laughs) The, the... The main song, Cry Little Sister, is is kind of an iconic song uh, in its own right, and, and it comes from here, and they've used it in every, you know, sequel uh, to this movie, and um, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're right. It's, it's, it's solidly planted in the 80s. Oh, man, is it ever. And, uh, and it's really, has some really unique camera work. Um, I was really surprised, actually, at the style. It was clear that these guys were going for something very different. Uh, you get that immediate swooping um, while the music is playing. You get that immediate swooping view into the uh, the fiction, the Santa Clara, which is clearly Santa Monica, California, right, right. Um, down onto the beach. And then, of course, these point of view shots from the vampires where you don't see the vampires flying. In fact, I'm not sure you ever see the vampires flying in this movie. But- uh, the, yeah, there's just one little part where it's very suggested towards the end yeah yeah but you get that point of view where they're swooping down on the the couple in the car and the security guard um who tells the guys off and tells them to get off the carousel and get out um and then they come down and they have their revenge and and yank him away from the car uh, as he's going home for the night pulling off that car door with it um it starts out being really cool but then i feel like it happens over and over again and it gets a little cheesy, I think, as the movie goes on. 
Yeah, you know, and I don't know what that you know, I don't know if that was a stylistic choice or if it was budget constraints or what. And and you know, I think that had they tried to do a lot with showing the vampires flying around that could have very easily gotten cheesy really fast. Um, I'm almost uh, happy that they instead went the other route and kind of let us get these point of view shots where, you know, we hear the the wind kind of racing by as though, you know, we were flying through the air and, and you just have, you know, the perspective of the vampires attacking. You don't really see the attack you just kind of see it uh from from their point of view and yeah i think it works but i can see where you're coming from and saying that uh maybe they could have uh changed it up every once in a while cuz you yeah. know they they util- they do utilize the effect a lot yeah you're right with that 80s um uh, special effects that were available at the time it would have started to look kind of silly right. if they had done that but you know i i guess um I guess it's nice to leave a little bit of that to the imagination as well. Sure, sure. And the movie starts out uh, with this uh, family that's basically moved in. Um, father's out of the picture for some reason. Was he? Re- were they recently divorced? Yeah, I think it- so. Mm-hmm. And so y- you kind of think that that's going to be an element throughout the movie is this, this family of three, uh, the mother uh, and the two sons really struggling to piece their lives together after a divorce. It really doesn't go into those themes much at all, does it? Not very much. And it's it's a little sad because the mom is played by Diane Weist, who is a, a, a great actress. You know, she's been working forever. She's still working. You still see her all over. I think she's got uh, a show on, on network television right now. Um, and she's really good in this movie. You know, she's young and... and pretty and soft-spoken and you know she's a great 80s mom you know it's the kind of mom (laughs) i have a great mom but you know it's it's the kind of mom (laughs) you want she seems like a cool hip mom and she's got these two boys um sam is uh cory haim and michael uh jason patrick you know somebody else who uh was was doing quite a lot in the 80s and and early 90s uh and yeah it sets it up as this dynamic you know this small family of three who's been dislocated they're now moving um to this new city uh santa carla and after that whole intro thing with with the vampires on the boardwalk um that's where we pick up it's just them coming into town they pass the santa carla uh billboard and after they drive past it uh, michael jason patrick looks back and he sees on the back that it's graffitied and it says the murder capital of the world um and so we know that there's going to be danger involved and 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 that's kind of where it goes you're right we don't get a whole lot of the family dynamic there are a couple of scenes um after michael kind of gets involved with the vampires and he's starting to act strange there's one nice scene between him and the mom lucy um where she's expressing her concern and michael look at me if if there's a girl i'm tired mom we could talk i'm tired we could talk about anything you wanted to talk about i have more serious things in my mind than girls in school there's things i'm dealing with that you can things i wouldn't understand um she's worried about him and again like i said you know she's just so sweet and soft-spoken and she seems like the kind of mom that somebody could really open up to but um it doesn't explore that too much which is is maybe a little bit of a weakness yeah it, it it seems like it could have gone there and it would have been a really interesting movie, but they instead tried to go this other direction and uh, focus a little bit more on comedy uh, in what I felt like were some almost to me, the movie just felt like it didn't know what it wanted to be. Uh, It didn't know if it wanted to be this hip, um, scary vampire movie uh, or if it wanted to be a horror comedy almost on par with Fright Night or something like that. And it was jarring to me that you have these elements that were and admittedly pretty hip. And I think those parts, if you take out the cheesy 80s music, would really still hold up today. Um, right. Where uh, it's Michael is the older brother and you know, being the fresh guy in town, he sees this girl from across the way in the crowd while they're watching this <laughs> 
oiled up uh, saxophone player. <laughs> oh God, I love that scene so much. You know, it, it's it's iconic. You know, you, uh, the the whole scene. You know, a lot of the action takes place on this boardwalk where it seems like you know it's the nightlife or whatever. And yeah, I mean, as soon as Michael and and Sam get there, there's a little bit of introduction where they you know they're going to live with uh, their mom's dad, grandpa. I don't even think he's ever given a name. They just call him grandpa, and he's kind of quirky and funny. And you know, they kind of establish here's where we are. But then the boys immediately kind of go out into the world and they're exploring their new world. And Michael, they go out at night on this boardwalk and it's just this, <laughs> it's so 80s. I, I can't, I'll probably say that a million times, but it, it feels like one of those 80s concert videos um, where you've got all the cool hip kids in the audience dancing around and sweating and um, then you've got this guy in these purple hot pants on stage just doing this epic like saxophone rock solo and oh god it's funny yeah and 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 right away you know we get thrown into the plot where Michael sees this girl um, star played by uh, Jamie Gertz and you know, they kind of share some furtive glances, um, and and then we get uh, kind of thrown into the world. Yeah, he's interested in Star, so he starts chasing him. And, of course, his little brother Sam is tailing along, like, you really want to follow that girl? And, of course, when he gets to her, she's hopped on the back uh, of a motorbike um, with this gang that we had seen earlier. Right. Uh, and led by... Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting here where you expect Kiefer Sutherland's character, whose name is... David. David. You expect David uh, to be mad. You know, Again, this this would be one of those scenes in the 80s movies where it's like, what, you want, you want some of my girlfriend? Well, new boy in town. Uh, karate kid style, you know, right, kicking right. up his tires at him and blasting away or beating him up or something. But he doesn't do that. He kind of looks at him and it's almost a come on. Uh, and then... It's almost a challenge, like, uh, come get us. Right. Kind of deal. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're right. It it would be that classic Karate Kid thing, you know, let's, let's duke it out, kind of see who the bigger man is or whatever. But instead, um, David, it it seems at first like he's challenging to a motorcycle race. Um, but Michael says, you know, I, I can't beat your bike. And he says, well, you don't have to beat me. You just have to you just have to keep up um and and so they go you know uh, biking around and um eventually uh they end up uh at this i guess it's like a rundown hotel like they they explained that there had been some big um earthquake in the 70s and this hotel had been sitting right on the fault line and the fault opened up and swallowed this hotel and this is their lair now uh and, and it's and really cool it is really cool. It's a um, neat update of sort of the um, iconic Dracula in his massive castle uh, that's sort of run down over the ages with cobwebs everywhere and broken furniture because it's unkept. This is the same way, except it's because the hotel's been abandoned. And, and it creates that layer that's not only castle-like, but it's also cave-like because it is underground right 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 and it, you know it's 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 dilapidated but at the same time it's kind of got this hip 80s feel it's got the you know this huge poster of uh, jim morrison on the wall um and and that's where they hang out and you know we already assume that these i mean going into it we know this is a vampire movie. We know these guys are vampires, but of course Michael doesn't know. Um, and it's almost kind of like he's being initiated into their gang. Uh, and, and what surprised me watching this scene again, um, was how manipulative David is in getting Michael dragged in to their vampire group. Um, it's it's kind of sexy and kind of seductive, but at the same time, there's a lot of trickery going on. Uh, what they do is they get him down there, and then um, David. Well, first, I, I think he passes him a joint. You know that happens really quick. You barely. I didn't even notice. I didn't know what was going on there when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he says, uh, "We've got some food. Let's eat." Um, and it's Chinese food, and he he passes um, Michael uh, a takeout container, and and Michael starts to eat the rice, and David says, "How you like those maggots?" Uh, and and Michael uh, kind of laughs and uh, and thinks he's joking, but then he looks down, and it, the box is crawling with maggots, and so he spits the rice out and throws it down on the ground. Sorry about that. No hard feelings, huh? 
Oh. Why don't you try some noodles? <laughs> they're worms. I mean, they're worms. <laughs> Tony. They're only noodles, Michael. So there's there's this kind of trickery going on, which leads up to them saying, or David saying, okay, here now, drink this. And he's got this bottle of wine, presumably, but it's like this fancy gilded bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, and he hands it uh, to Michael, and Star comes around and says, you don't have to do it. It's blood. Uh, and Michael says, oh, yeah, right, it's blood. And he drinks it. Um, and, and that presumably then is what turns him into a vampire or as we find out later half vampire um as it plays around with the lore just a little bit right right but i had never noticed you know i I don't know i guess i wasn't really thinking about nuance when i was 12 or whatever but uh, (laughs) uh you know it was really kind of a seductive manipulative thing and then from that point on he sucked in and there's really no getting out of it yeah, and it's interesting, too, because I guess instead of being that sexual vampire thing that you get an awful lot, um, which is almost part and parcel of vampire, mm-hmm. this is more macho uh, yeah. in a way. It's it's the, He doesn't want to look bad in front of this girl. Um, even though this girl obviously has a boyfriend, he clearly still wants to impress her somehow. But he also, maybe because he's the new kid in town, is a little bit interested um, in joining up with the bad boys. He's maybe at that right age, uh, that rebellious age. And so there's a little bit of that, too, about the going through the adolescence or going through this particular phase of manhood. And this is the challenge part of the manhood. Right. Um, and he even says at one point, David says, uh, how far will you go? Right. right. And and that's almost the key message in this movie. It's 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 all a big challenge to him. So it does play with that a little bit. There's less of the sex sexiness and more of this masculine adolescent uh challenge going back and forth. And which works with the title of the movie The Lost Boys, you know. Right. It's taken from Peter Pan um and the Lost Boys who uh who never grow up. In a way, David's sort of the leader of these of these lost boys who aren't going to grow up because they're immortal. It, right. It's really an interesting idea, and there's a bit of bit of background behind how this movie came about too, right? Yeah, uh, you know, and that's something that I, of course, I didn't know at the time, and I, I think I only read about fairly recently is that the original script was inspired <clears throat> by Peter Pan. Um, I don't know, I don't have the scriptwriter's name written down, but. Um, the original concept was he thought, you know, with the story of Peter Pan, if you strip it down to what, you know, it's, it's bare essentials, uh, you've got these boys who never age, who never grow up, um, and who, you know, come and kind of seduce other children uh, to come into their fray. Um, and, and that was this movie was initially kind of supposed to be a, a dark Peter Pan story. In fact, um, I believe David's name was eventually the leader of the vampires. His name was uh, originally going to be Peter. Um, the two brothers were going to be um, Michael and John. John. Uh, yeah, Michael and John uh, because those were the, the young boys in Peter Pan. Um, lots of connections. I think the mom's name was going to be Wendy. Um, and, and one of the only things that ended up surviving was uh, the dog's name. Corey Haim has uh, a dog in the movie. It's named Nanook, uh, and I had never put together the, the dog in Peter Pan is named Nanny. Um, and so there's there's all these connections. When Throughout the process of getting the movie made, uh, the filmmakers decided that, and originally, um, the vampires were supposed to be like fifth or sixth grade uh, kind of age. Um, yeah, it but, was almost going to be like a Goonies vampire movie. In a way. Right, yeah, and Richard Donner produced this, you know, the director of, uh, of the Goonies, um, and, and that was their original go, but somebody, you know, some executive or somebody thought that wasn't cool enough, it wasn't I, sexy enough. I think it was Joel Schumacher, the actual director, who came on and said, look, I'm not interested in this unless we change it and make it more, uh, you know, make the boys older. Right, right. And and so they did. And, and you know, in doing that, it, it lost a lot of those connections. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, the, the movie is, stands alone uh, without those elements perfectly fine, I think. But, you know, that would have that been an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah, it would have been. Dark twist on Peter Pan. 
Well, it feels like the movie still left a little bit of an imprint of those earlier versions because you have Michael's younger brother, Sam, who is just almost just bears witness to this um, <clears throat> over the course of Michael's transformation. And he has uh, palled up a little bit again in another, uh, I guess, a younger sort of, uh, of asserting yourself way um, with the two comic book uh, store owners played by Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander, uh, Edgar Frog and Alan Frog, and I right. guess they're brothers. And, and it's a little silly, I think, and I think it's really kind of a knock against the movie, um, the comedy that they really play. Corey Feldman... To be honest, his acting's not that great in this movie, and and really neither is Corey Hames. <laughs> yeah, I, it comes across as a little juvenile, and I, I see what you're saying with you know it, it kind of not knowing what it wants to be because all of the stuff with um, Michael and and David and the other vampires that's pretty straightforward horror stuff. But then you've got this other plot line with you know Corey Haim meeting the Frog Brothers Edgar and Alan you know wink wink Edgar Allen um, <clears throat> uh, and and that's all played for the comedy and really most of Corey Haim's stuff is played for the comedy and when those two worlds collide it I, I don't know it's it's like it's it kind of just does yeah and it doesn't it's like two puzzle pieces that just don't quite fit. Like like you're trying to force them to fit together, and they just don't quite fit. And we've seen, you know, really good horror and comedy, even in this era, work really well. I, I keep going back to Fright Night. I, I think Fright Night strikes this great balance between humor, but also is utterly terrifying at, at moments. And I think it bounces between the two really well. This movie just doesn't seem to do that. Um Michael goes out with the guys, and of course he starts feeling ill. Um, there's the big scene where they go out onto a bridge, and uh, they're laughing, and the gang, led by led by David, um, one by one start to drop below the bridge and challenge Michael to fall down with him. And so he jumps down because he still hears their voices coming up through the fog, and uh, they're just hanging, you know, from this bridge. And then the train goes across the bridge, and the train's rattling the bridge, and it seems like it's very difficult for them to hold on. In the meantime, Michael's terrified. These guys are laughing, and uh, one by one, they let go and tell him to let go. And uh, the only reason he lets go is because after they let go, uh, he can still hear their voices through the fog. And I don't know, maybe it's a little unclear. Maybe it was just getting too hard for him to hold on. But he finally does let go. He falls through the fog in what, in what you thought was a really super uh, silly scene. Yeah, you know, I, I don't remember thinking it silly at the time. You know, this movie came out in 1987. Um, I, I'm sure I probably didn't see it until a couple of years after that. But even then, I would have only been like 10, 11, 12, you know, probably when I first saw it. Um, and I don't remember thinking it cheesy at the time. So maybe we've just kind of gotten spoiled with the kinds of effects they can use now. But, you know, really, you know, this fall through the fog, it almost looks like, you know, they just put him in a room, filled it up with fog, and then just kind of told him to like thrash his upper body around you know (laughs) (laughs) it looks kind of goofy and you know going back to the whole comedy thing again you know i I think it may just be our modern sensibility because i at the time it worked for me you know i liked it at the time in fact i think maybe at the time i almost related more to the younger characters uh, probably because i was more their age you know the older characters were you know you know, the big kids, you know, that I didn't really fit in with. Um, so, you know, we can sit here and, and both of us, you know, be a little bit critical of the movie, but I loved it. I loved it as a kid. Uh, and it, it's, it almost pains me a little bit now to kind of go back and look at it with a more critical eye. Um, so, you know, as much as I criticize it, folks out there, uh, be aware that, uh, that it's coming from a place of love. Cause I, you know, as, as 80s and cheesy as it may come across sometimes um i still like it and i would still and and will i'm sure you know keep watching it well you know yeah you kind of bring up an interesting point there i mean i guess having those elements uh, where they're back in the house and uh the younger brother is quizzing the older brother and thinks he's a vampire and is trying all this silly stuff on him and is going back to the comic book guys who are like you just need to stake him you just need to stake him um that part, being able to relate better to maybe that aspect when you're younger, 
uh, helps the movie to bridge a, a bit of a gap in generation so that it, it can appeal both to the older of the teenagers, it can appeal to the uh, pre-adolescents maybe in the audience or the adolescents in the audience whose parents might have taken them to see it. You know? I think so. And, and I think that the movie, you know, I, I think that the audience that they were going for was you know, a young audience, you know, teenagers, adolescents, um, you know, I, I'm sure a- adults in, enjoyed it as well, but it, it really seems targeted towards a younger audience. And and that scene that you're talking about, you know, um, Michael comes home and, and he is, you know, starting to experience these symptoms, I guess, of being a vampire, and he's really sensitive to light and... Um, <clears throat> He's really tired during the day or whatnot, and you know that that worries his mom, and she tries to talk to him, but that doesn't really go very far. Um, and it's it's then um, uh, you know we've kind of left out the and there's there's lots of these little side stories going on too. You know we just get it kind of jumps from scene to scene, keeping us up with people. The mom has gotten a job at a video store. Um, she's working for this guy uh, named Matt who's the owner of the video store and, and they're kind of starting this romantic relationship and she wants he, he's invited her out to dinner and she wants to go she asks Michael to stay home uh, with Sam and he reluctantly he doesn't want to but he reluctantly agrees and then there's this goofy scene with Corey Haim taking a bubble bath and he's like singing this goofy <laughs> song um, and, and meanwhile uh, Michael is downstairs and it's like his vampire impulses are overcoming him like he, he can't control it and he kind of vamps out um, you know we, we his face changes um, and, and he starts to head up and it, it looks like he's going to attack his brother um, but the, uh, the dog Nanook senses something is off and um, as Michael bursts into the room at the same time Sam goes down underneath the water uh, and so he doesn't see Michael in his vampire state Um, but Nanook the dog jumps up uh, and attacks Michael which you know uh, Sam hears that and comes up out of the water and and they start uh, talking and, and Michael says he was protecting you Look at your reflection in the mirror. Your creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. My own brother, a goddamn sucking vampire. Well, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. The suggestion here, and and the Frog Brothers, who've already warned uh, Sam uh, about vampires in Santa Carla, um, you know, they they explain later that uh, you don't become a full vampire until you make your first kill. Um, so Michael is not yet a full vampire; he's only a half vampire, which is why he can be out in the day, um, why his uh, reflection is <clears throat> still partly there. Um, and then, uh, you know, as soon as that happens, um, Sam calls the Frog Brothers, and it's just, it, it, there are places where the comedy is goofy, but still, even today, there are some of the things that just cracked me up. Like, he's on he's on the phone with the Frog Brothers, and, and they're asking him all these questions. You did the right thing by calling us. Does your brother sleep a lot? Yeah, all day. Does the sunlight freak him out? Uh, he wears sunglasses in the house. Bad breath. Long fingernails. Yeah, his fingernails are all a bit longer. Um, he always had bad breath, though. You know, just <laughs> stupid jokes, but um, I, I, I found myself uh, laughing regardless of how uh, immature some of the humor may have been. Yeah, and then there's a later scene too, uh, where is it? Is it later that night, or when is it when he gets swept out the window? I think it's that same night. You know, all of this only takes place over a few days. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's it's later that night because um, the mom is still on her date. Uh, you know, after this whole thing where, you know, he almost attacked his brother, I guess, um, Michael goes to sleep. And when he when he wakes up, he's floating on the ceiling. Um, and, and it's like he can't 
control, control it or doesn't yet know how to control it. And so he kind of flies out the or floats out the window. Um, and uh, Sam is on the phone with his mom. The mom has called from her date to check in. Uh, and, and Sam sees Michael floating outside the window and he starts freaking out on the phone, screaming, ah, help, he's a vampire, he's going to get me, he's going to get me. Uh, and of course the mom's freaking out and she has to run out on her date. Um, but, you know, eventually Michael says, you know, Sammy, help me, I'm your brother. Um, and, and he does, he helps him in and, and uh, that's kind of where their whole quest to figure this out begins you know how how are we going to get out of this uh bad situation yeah and they get their information all from comic books and so uh, this is their and the comic books are all strikingly accurate (laughs) 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 everything can be explained by the comic books um at at one point um sam is is reading one of those horror comics and it's talking about the hounds of hell uh and right after we and it shows you know this ferocious dog right after that um sam and uh his mom lucy go to max the video store owner they go to his house uh, during the day, the mom says that she wants to drop off a bottle of wine to apologize because she had just run out on the date. She hadn't, you know, she hadn't even explained to him what was going on. She had just run out, and uh, as as she goes to try to deliver the wine up to the house, um, Max's dog Thorn um, growls at and starts to chase her really viciously and and almost attacks her. Um, and of course, you know that that gets Sam thinking, ah, oh, you know that must be one of the hounds of hell he must be uh uh guarding max so maybe max is a vampire and um, yeah well because um because edgar and alan are saying that there's 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 always a leader there's a master vampire a head vampire right and if you kill that guy then all the rest of them you know turn back to normal or die or something and so they're piecing two and two together and thinking oh well it must be max because he's the video store owner the video store doesn't open until late right um and goes through the nights and he wasn't there and he has the dog and all this stuff and so they decide they're going to set up like a test for him while uh, their um, mom Lucy has him over to her house uh, right. she decides she's going to make something in order to make up for running out on the date and the boys are going to be there too and so <laughs> then you get another one of these super comical scenes where the boys have uh, prepared uh, they splash water on him during the, the, the uh, meal right They've, prepared parmesan cheese but they've mixed a whole bunch of minced garlic in with it right ask him if he wants to put it on his uh on his spaghetti uh, spaghetti and uh they show a mirror at him and it's just this little comedy of of errors where they're slowly sabotaging the dinner and everybody's like what's going on what's going on in the meantime none of this stuff is working right he can he can eat the garlic they see his reflection in the mirror um he's not phased by the water Um, nothing bothers him and and it's it's again it's one of those tonally really silly moments in a movie that then follows up i believe with michael searching out star again finding her in the lair and them having a, a like a like this long 80s like sex scene right and it's <laughs> i don't even remember i the, the movie's probably what is it rated Do you know is it pg-13 it's it's r is it r okay yeah it is um it, it's it's a very soft R. I mean, there yeah. there is there are a couple of uh, fairly gory scenes. Um, at, at some point, the vampire gang takes Michael out. I think that's maybe a little bit later. But yeah, this uh, the sex scene. It's it's so. I mean, it, it looks like a music video. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, it does. There, there's there's very little skin. You know, it, it it you know they're not really doing anything more than making out kind of under like this gossamer. You know. <laughs> bed thing as the Um, camera swoops around slowly right right it's very foggy and the music is playing and um it's funny to me i didn't realize that it was r uh i guess um we find out uh soon after that star comes and finds michael at his house and sam's there too and she says you know that that was supposed that meeting our meeting last night uh, or earlier that night or whatever you were supposed to be my first you were supposed to be my first kill uh, and that's kind of where we get um the whole concept of star and michael and there's a little boy uh, in the group too laddie who um, just they- kind of shows up 
Yeah, I mean, he's there the whole time. I, I never knew uh, as a kid who this little boy was. Um, at, at one point in the movie, Diane Weist puts a uh, carton of milk uh, in the refrigerator, and just for a split second, you see that Laddie's face is on the carton of milk. Um, so he's a missing child. Um, I read online that uh, it... it, it uh, Star is very protective of Laddie throughout, um, and so I always kind of thought maybe that he was like her little brother or something, but what I read online was that no, he's no relation, it's just um, they almost got him for Star almost as like a pet, like a companion. Oh. Um, but but they, you know, Star, Michael, and Laddie are just half vampires until they kill somebody, um, and if they can control themselves and keep themselves from killing someone um, and if they can kill the head vampire, then they can go back to normal. Um, the only gory scene that, that I can really think of off the top of my head is, um, at one point, I think it's right around this point in the movie, uh, Michael and the other vampires take, uh, or excuse me, David and the other vampires take Michael out, um, I guess kind of for his true initiation. They crash this beach party. It's like skinheads partying on the beach or something, um, and uh, this is the first time that Michael sees all of the vampires turn fully, and they attack these skinheads on the beach. And that gets pretty graphic. There's one image that always, when I was a kid, uh, always freaked me out. Uh, one of the vampires, I don't remember if it's David or one of the others, grabs one of the skinheads and takes a bite out of his skull like he's taking a bite out of an apple and, and the blood just sprays everywhere. Um, and even as a a lover of horror, as a kid, that part always kind of had me hiding behind my fingers a little bit. Well, it's brutal, but it's really uh, stylishly shot where you really just see snippets and quick flashes of what's going on. Sometimes even in shadow and the Mm -hmm. blood all has, yeah, the, the blood kind of sprays, but it's a little thin and it's a little fast. I thought that was a truly terrifying moment in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. I honestly didn't even n- imagine we were going to get. You know, that happens. Oh, a good, at least halfway through. Yes, yeah. And up to a point, I was wondering: are are these vampires even going to going to have fangs? You know, right? Are we going to even see them? Be- is it going to be that hip <laughs> that this is the fangless vampire movie? Uh, right. But no, they go full on right there. Um, and it's interesting to see Michael struggle with that. Uh, he doesn't want to kill, but at the same time, he's feeling the urges. And you wonder if he's going to succumb, and he doesn't. Uh, it's really a powerful moment, you know, in in the movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it it is a good moment. And, and, you know, still there's more of that seduction. You know, Michael, he vamps out too. Yeah, I, I keep saying vamp out, you know, like that's something that people say. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, this, uh, this, this movie um, was uh, the first use of that phrase, and it kind of has gotten picked up um, in pop culture. They used it in Buffy the Vampire Slayer all the time. Um, <clears throat> And uh, I, I think it's it's worth noting that you know when they do vamp out, you know the makeup is really good. You know they're they're scary vampires, um, and and uh, the design of the vampires in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is one of my favorite shows ever, um, it was you know I, I think they clearly took some inspiration from these vampires. Um, but that scene is good because it's more of the seduction. Michael doesn't give in. He kind of falls. They're like in a tree or something and, and he kind of falls out of the tree off down this sand dune and the other vampires in this great image come walking up over the sand dune, you know, lit from behind um, and come walking down to him uh, and, and David says, so... Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. You'll never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. But you must feed. It's a seductive thing, you know, that there's that's that's saying a lot. You'll never grow old and you'll never die. There's just this one little one little glitch. <laughs> you got to eat people. <clears throat> well, you know, uh, and you got to hand it to Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, he, in one of his uh, first big screen roles, he is fantastic. He is. Uh, when <clears throat> and he's he... not vamping out, he's he's freaky. He, he just seems like a character with so many different layers to him. 
and and he's a great actor. Again, you know, this cast is really pretty impressive. Um, again, you know, the young people, a lot of them at the beginning of their careers, but many of them went on to do great stuff. Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland's gone on to do great stuff. He's uh, he's really baby faced in this movie. I mean, he looks really young, um, but at the same time, he's really got that bad boy, dangerous thing going down. He's a sexy guy in this movie, um, yes. even as a even as a bad guy. You know, he's a he's a cool guy, <laughs> even though he's the villain. You know, he's he's badass. Yeah, and and that really adds a lot to it. I think the casting um, really saved this movie from being. Um, well, really made this more of an iconic movie uh, right. than it w- might have been otherwise. Right? Uh, was it really successful when it came out? It was a pretty big deal, wasn't it? Or I was think it... so. I mean, I don't, I don't remember. Again, I was just a kid, so I don't really remember. But uh, I think it was pretty successful. And you know, clearly, there's been a cult following. I mean, this is a movie that came out in 1987, and you still see references to it all over the place, or at least I do. You know, if you frequent any um, horror forums or web sites or whatever you know i see reference to this all the time um so it, it's it's left its mark and so uh basically we come to a big showdown toward the end don't we yeah i mean this is what it comes down to is okay so they realize we got if if we're gonna get out of this we got to find the head vampire michael knows where their lair is so um he and and sam and the frog brothers um steal the grandpa's car and uh, go there during the day um, where presumably all the vampires are asleep. Uh, And they go in, and, you know, I always, even as a kid, thought this was funny. You know, they go into the lair, and they're, like, shouting back and forth to one another. Like, there's nothing covert or sly about this at all. (laughs) That's right. And before that, of course, there's that, again, one of those silly scenes where they're running around gathering all the materials. Yes. And uh, they're going and filling their squirt gun. They barge into a church when a couple's having a wedding. Yeah. And everybody (laughs) in the church just goes silent and turns around and stares at them while they fill their squirt guns with holy water from the receptacles at the front. And then they run out and everyone just looks like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's silly. You know, it's a a classic 80s montage with the 80s music in the background. It's, It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but th- so they get there and and uh the frog brothers are all gung ho and they go into you know they they figure that the vampires must be somewhere deep in in the caves or or whatever um and they go looking for them and they're looking for them in coffins and they they don't find them in coffins instead they find them hanging from the ceiling like bats um, which, is a which cool I thought touch. was really cool. Yeah, it's very cool. And David um, wears this big black, um, I don't know if it's leather or what, but like this big black trench coat throughout. And so when he's hanging upside down, the trench coat is kind of draped down around him, almost like bat wings. Uh, cool image. Um, they, they don't know, you know, they've just got to start somewhere. So they say, okay, we'll start with this one. Um, and they go to stake uh, one of the smaller vampires. Um, I, I don't know his name. It's, it's the one from uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, not Keanu Reeves, the other one. Oh, um, yeah. And they they stake him, and blood just shoots out, like it's spraying all over. Um, but it's not like normal blood, like it's sparkly, like glitter blood. <laughs> <laughs> it's and glam it's, rock blood. <laughs> totally, right, right. And, it, you know, they're, all the boys, the Frog Brothers and Sam are just drenched in blood, but the vampire screams as, as he's dying, and that wakes the other vampires up. Um, and so the boys start running, and it's almost like they kind of have to crawl up a shaft. And this was the part where you kind of get the suggestion of them flying. Um, David takes off after them, and as the boys are kind of laboriously making their way up the shaft, David just kind of glides up it um, and grabs uh, Corey Hames' ankle and starts pulling him down. The Frog Brothers are pulling him up, um, and, and they're able to pull him up far enough um, so that um, David's hand gets pulled into the sunlight where it erupts in flames. So he lets go and pulls it back. And then it's this great shot where it's just a close-up of his vampire face. Um, and he's kind of screaming in pain at first, and then he stops, and his face kind of calms a little bit into just this, you know, rage. Um, one tear streams down his face, and he just says, Tonight. Um, 
And I read that uh, that tear was not scripted. Uh, it was a total accident. You know, he's got these these crazy contacts in for his vampire makeup, and they were irritating his eyes so much uh, that it, it just made him cry. Um, and it was just a lucky coincidence, and they kept it, and it really worked well for the scene. And that's one of the scenes, you know, it's, it's really scary. It's very ominous, and uh, I remember that being one of the ones that I remember a lot from when I was a kid. Oh my gosh, that shot's incredibly cool. I, th- at that moment, my heart just kind of leapt for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. I mean, what a happy accident. <laughs> right, right. And it's then a that very subtle up- thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that leads up to the final showdown. I mean, we get to the climax where um, the the guys... Well, and meanwhile, Michael has gotten Laddie and Star out of the lair. They <clears throat> They all, you know, pile in the grandpa's car and head back to the house. Um, the mom has another date with Max, so she's going to be gone. They they somehow trick the the grandpa into being gone, <clears throat> and they kind of prepare themselves for you know what they know is going to happen. These vampires are going to come after them that night, and that's exactly what happens. Um, so they they kind of set up some traps, like they. They put holy water, they fill the uh, bathtub with water um, <clears throat> and put holy water in it, and they, they put a bunch of garlic in that. They've got all kinds of weapons set up, and they just basically wait for this siege, which then happens. You know, night falls, and, and here come the vampires, and it's the final showdown. Yeah, it's it's like the end of A Nightmare on Elm Street, where they right. have all these traps set uh, again, montage, setting, setting all that up. Uh, and uh, sure enough, the vampires come, and uh, they dispatch them one by one. One comes in uh, to the bathroom. <laughs> you're mine! You killed Marco! Yeah, you're next! No, you're next! Garlic ah. <laughs> <laughs> don't work, boys! Try holy water, death breath! <laughs> They splash some uh, holy water up on his face, and it burns, and it's a, a cool effect, and, you know, he's all scarred from that. Um, but then the vampire's still coming after them, um, but Nanook, the dog, heroically comes in and, and jumps uh, yeah. up on the vampire and knocks him into the, the tub where he kind of explodes. Um, and as, as they were preparing for all of this, uh, Corey Feldman's character had said, no two vampires go the same way. You know, some explode, some implode, um, some go out screaming, some go quietly. And that really foreshadows the deaths of all the vampires uh, to come. This first one, who dies like in the bathtub. Atom bomb. What was that? <laughs> he goes out like an atom bomb. Right, right. <laughs> Not only does he kind of explode in the bathtub, but like it explodes all of the plumbing in the whole house Uh, and it's, you know, water spraying everywhere. Um, And then the next one um, attacks. uh, They they all split up. They somehow, not intentionally, but they all get split up in the house. Um, So Corey Haim uh, is left to to battle the next one kind of by himself. and he's got these arrows, <clears throat> and he, he shoots the vampire with an arrow, but he misses the heart on the first uh, shot. Um, but then he shoots again, and he, he gets it, and uh, it, it, it launches the vampire back into the stereo, which then comes on, and um, it's almost like the vampire is being electrocuted while he's being staked, and the loud rock music is playing, and uh, <laughs> once he's dead, Corey Haim. It's so cornball, um, but I just thought it was so funny when I was a kid. He's like, Death by stereo. <laughs> you know, just the goofiest, silliest 80s jokes, but um, my, my 12-year-old self got a kick out of it. Yeah, my um, 38-year-old self thought it was pretty silly. <laughs> <laughs> That's one part that doesn't hold up very well. <laughs> oh, no, it's totally cheesy. I don't, I don't care. I still love it. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Um, then the, uh, laddie, the little boy kind of vamps out for a second and, and the frog brothers kind of start to go after him, but star protects him. Um, and then we're, we're down to the final battle, which is the battle between, um, Michael and David. Um, and, and this, this is the only place where the flying really comes. They have their whole battle, um, in the air, like in this, you know, big open, uh, living area in the house. Um, and that, I thought it was pretty cool, pretty effective, especially, you know, for what they had available as far as effects go at the time. 
Yeah, it's really neat, and it's a great climactic moment where Michael now suddenly has to give in to his rage. Only this time, instead of giving in to his rage um, towards feeding on an innocent victim, he's turning that towards David. Uh, and I thought thematically that was really, really good. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fighting fire with fire. It really puts them on an even playing field right here. And you're really wondering who's going you know, to survive at the end. Right. And it, it all happens very quickly. Um, Michael gets a hold of David in the air and, and pushes him back towards uh, the wall where there are like some antlers. The, the, the grandpa that they live with um, does taxidermy. So there's all this you know, taxidermy <laughs> all around. Um, but it, it misses. David just hits the wall and he, he says, you missed or something like that. And David uh, then starts pushing Michael back towards this the taxidermy room, which is just full uh, of antlers and stuff. <clears throat> And it almost looks like like David is going to win, but at the last second, Michael grabs hold of the door frame and is able to turn David around, and he impales David on the antlers. Now, when I was a kid, I always had a big problem with this because lore, typical lore, says that you have to kill a vampire with a stake through the heart. Now, usually it's a wooden stake. Um, sometimes if you go back you know, even further... Silver stakes uh, worked in in some stories, but antlers are neither wood nor silver, um, and so I, I I never really understood why David died from this injury, um, and he dies really quietly. You know, his face goes back to kind of his human look, um, and and it's almost sad. Like you almost kind of see. Yeah, the little bit of humanity uh, in David as as he's dying. Um, what I what I go ahead and with Kiefer Sutherland having that kind of boyish look again, right? You know, it's almost like he's going back to a boy. Uh, it does have a it, it's touching, right? In a way that you wouldn't expect, right? He's a and, victim at that you know you realize he's a victim just as much as anybody else at that point. Right, right, exactly. Um, what I read online was that uh, initially in the script and and when they filmed it, um, it was meant to be kind of left open because they had already planned a sequel um, and they had planned on bringing David back for the sequel. Uh, so he wasn't supposed to be really dead, um, but of course the sequel <clears throat> the sequel was supposed to be the Lost Girls, uh, and it was supposed to <laughs> you know uh, obviously just be kind of a spinoff. But David was going to appear. Um, of course, it, it, it never materialized. Um, but so anyway, within the context of the movie as a standalone film, um, he's dead. Um, but Star and Michael and Laddie are unchanged. Um, you know, they, they now have killed all the vampires that they know of, um, but apparently they have not yet gotten the head vampire because nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And, of course, who's the only one who that could possibly be is uh, Max. And uh, sure enough, Max uh, uh, Max appears. Did Max just come in? Uh, Max the... and the Max and the mom were on a date. Um, That's right. Max and I the mom were on a I date. I don't remember... I think that we got a little bit of a scene where um, uh, Lucy was telling Max, you know, I'm worried about my boys. Um, and it almost seems like they had come home to check on the boys. And, of course, they get there, uh, you know, right as everything is ended. And the house is a wreck. Everything's destroyed. Lucy comes in. She's freaking out. Um, Sam's trying to uh, calm her down. Meanwhile, Max walks into the room and, and sees David's dead body. Um, and doesn't immediately freak out, as you would expect one might upon encountering a dead body. Instead, he turns around and walks back in and says, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Lucy. Um, this is all my fault. Uh, and then he explains, I, he says, I thought, he says, my boys misbehaved. Uh, and that's where they figure out that he's uh, the head vampire. And he explains, and, and you know, we talked about this, it, that, I don't know, it's kind of loose storytelling. But uh, he explains that all along, his goal was to get Lucy. He wanted Lucy. And so to do that, he thought that if he were able to draw her boys into the fray 
that then she would have no choice but to join them and and join him. It, um, it's so convoluted. <laughs> I mean, it, it's so convoluted. It requires so much uh, chance. But also, I just don't get it. I mean, she was falling for him anyway. Right. You know? And so I don't see how... Um, he couldn't have just gone directly for her. Right. It was working just fine. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I guess, you know, it, the, when it comes down to it, he could have just taken her by force. Uh, and then she would have been a vampire and wouldn't have had any choice in the matter. And that may have been the end of it. I guess what we're supposed to think is that <clears throat> his reasoning was that she would you know she wouldn't want to leave her boys behind um in order to be with him but like you said i mean it, it's it's pretty convoluted i mean he could have just taken her if that's what he really wanted well and then and then we get the even more silly um way that david that max is dispatched <laughs> which is suddenly out of nowhere Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> oh, Grandpa God, yeah, definition, yeah. <laughs> drives, crashes through the house at just the right moment with a truck loaded with giant stakes, which he had been sharpening up his fence posts earlier. Right. Uh, right through the heart of, uh, of Max, the body of Max. Right. Uh, it is so goofball. Oh, and, it's totally corny, yeah. <laughs> and, and then he gets out, and he surveys the damage, walks to the fridge, grabs one of his root beers out of there, and says the goofy ending line. One thing about living in Santa Carla I never could stomach. All the damn vampires. <laughs> <laughs> While Lucy and Sam and, and uh, Michael and Star just kind of look on. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's, it's go- you know, it ends really quickly. Like you said, Deus Ex Machina, it's exactly that. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. It, it never bothered me. And, and that, that final joke, you know, I always, it, it's, it's very wink-wink uh, at the audience. Um, but I, I just, it always made me smile and still kind of does. I don't know the name of the guy. Oh, no, I do. The the grandpa was played by Bernard Hughes, um, and I don't know what else he's been in, but he's a totally recognizable guy, you know, always plays this kind of uh, crotchety grandfather type, and um, he doesn't have much to do in the movie, but those little one, he zings these little one-liners every once in a while, and um, he's funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. You know, the way we've talked about it, it... it, it <sighs> I don't know. I feel like we're not giving it credit where where credit is due. You know, there's a lot of good stuff about the movie. You know, the the vampire effects, the makeup is is excellent. I think um, there's oh, there's some. I, go ahead. And I feel like in the vampire parts of the movie, it's really stylish and it's really well done. I feel like if you had taken out some of the silliness, the attempts to be goofy, which I think are really just the vestiges of that earlier draft of the script when it was going to be a little more Goonies-esque, um, if you stripped that out of it uh, or toned it way the heck down, um, the movie wouldn't be, I think, so jarring. Uh, it would still be dated, uh, but it wouldn't. It would. It would maintain a. a consistent sense of style throughout it wouldn't right. be bouncing you back from one side to the other and i think that works in some movies just for me here and now it didn't work but i think you have a, a good point there if i had seen this when i was a kid when it mm-hmm. came out i probably would have the different perspective on it that you have i, I, I think I absolutely so. would have I think so. And, you know, I I really think that they had a specific target audience in mind. And I think that that target audience was, you know, adolescent to teenage boys. Um, And, you know, at the time, um, I think it it had to have. You know, it had to have resonated with people our age. Um, Otherwise, why would we still be talking about it? Why would we still be seeing imagery from it uh, all over the place? It clearly had some impact. And, you know, it it launched um, careers uh, for some of these young actors. Um, So uh, I still appreciate it for what it it is. Uh, There were a couple of sequels that came out in the 2000s. the first sequel was intended to be kind of a, a a vehicle for a comeback for Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. Um, 
eventually when it when they got around to making the film uh Corey Haim was was struggling so much with addiction and and his health that he wasn't really able to participate and so uh Corey Feldman um was really you know it was more for him um Corey Haim doesn't even really appear in the movie there are some uh bonus scenes or maybe there's a post credit scene um where Corey F- Corey Haim is a vampire and he and Corey Feldman kind of face off. You don't really, you only see the beginning of it. You don't see what happens. Um, and then, uh, sadly, tragically, uh, Corey Haim died. I believe he was, you know, I don't even remember how old he was. He was young, uh, far too young to pass away. Um, but he passed away before the second sequel came out. And, uh, I saw both sequels. Um, I don't remember really anything about them. Um, they were very not memorable. Uh, I think Kiefer Sutherland's uh, younger brother played the lead vampire in one of them. Um, But uh, definitely, you know, nothing that you would need to run out and see right away um which you know it's 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 too bad you know they were trying to capitalize on on the name or whatever and it didn't work but um we still got this one to go back to at least if we need a little cheesy 80s fun we do and you know what i think i will go back to it for that reason alone Uh, sometimes you just want a little cheesy 80s fun yeah you want to hear some in excess playing in the background (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely Well, we're still here. We're still together, even though we might be half a world apart. We're right. going to continue coming to you. <laughs> so please continue to uh, check us out on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can find our page on Facebook. Leave us a message. Let us know what you think of this episode. Check out our previous episodes and give us some ideas and thoughts for uh, movies we should see coming up. Until that time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Wow.